welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just thankful for the presence that I feel in this place. Something about being together with men that praise and worship the Lord. That's a powerful thing. Hallelujah, Jesus. We exalt Thee. Actually, let's just go ahead and take a minute. This presence is too thick. And exalt Him right now above everything else that we may have brought into this place. Lord, I exalt You, Jesus. I exalt You right now above the media, above the news, above what conflicts are happening in this world, God. You're greater than any of it, God. You're greater than any leader in this country, any kingdom, any, any kingdom God. You're greater than all of it. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're mighty to save God. We exalt you above our own problems that we've brought in here right now. We exalt you, God, above the economy. We exalt you, God, above any virus, God. We exalt you right now, Jesus. Mighty God, thank you for your presence in this place, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You can go ahead and be seated just for a minute. And I don't even like to disrupt that spirit, but I believe God is faithful. His spirit's already in this place, and we will continue to feel it tonight. Amen. I'm honored to be to be here with you all tonight, and um, not for the sake of preliminaries or protocols, but I um, I am grateful and thankful for your pastor. I truly mean that. He is truly a, a leader of men. Amen. And I know that because of the men that I know that have come from this congregation and, and who he is and um, how he's helped me. And when I was going for my ministerial license, he was our presbyter, and he uh, was so accommodating, so gracious, so kind. And just made the whole thing, made us feel good. And I'll, I'll, I'll share a story, if that's all right, Pastor, of, of he, he, he told me, hey, you know, the board, you know, they can be, you know, whatever. They, they might get at you a little bit, whatever, make it, you know, a little uncomfortable. They want you to feel a little uncomfortable maybe sometimes. But uh, he told me, just be ready and I'm with you. You know, we're, we're, we're ready, and, and I went in there, and uh, it was Brother Jordan at the time was our district uh, um, superintendent, and he opened just by greeting my wife. You know, I'm just the, the guy sitting there, but uh, I went to Purpose Institute, and that came up, and they asked me about it, and I shared a story uh, about how something I had learned at Purpose Institute that we were going through at our congregation at the time, and I wasn't 
being uh, saying this negative against ABI, but I said, I learned this at Purpose Institute, and one of our ministers at our church that went to ABI said to me, yeah, they didn't teach us how to handle that there, and I mentioned that, and they all kind of just got silent. Brother Heideball looked at me, and he just goes, you know half of these men went to ABI, right? <laughs> and, and my wife punched me under the table, and I said, well, I appreciate ABI. My mother-in-law went there. My father-in-law, who's passed away, went there. My brother-in-law. So, but it was just funny, and he he was able to make light of that situation. But I'm grateful for you, Pastor Heideball. And um, amen. And I, I'm grateful, thankful for Brother Tyler when he called and asked me originally to speak. Um, I appreciate him, his friendship. And I'll tell you another reason I appreciate him is when I started going to Purpose Institute, I started meeting, you know, some of the men from here. And uh, I, I met Big James Howard, and I met Bobby Gardner. And I thought, dear goodness, what are these men eating out there? And who is, what is, what is Brother Hideball feeding these guys? How, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm just like, man, who are these guys? So fortunately... Brother Tyler signed up for Purpose Institute, and I'm like, finally, here's a guy I can look at eyeball to eyeball. So I appreciated Brother Tyler for many things. He's a great guy. But I also appreciated I wasn't looking at him and thinking, is this guy in the offensive line for Ohio State? So amen. And uh, Brother Bobby, you're a great friend. I appreciate you, man. And Brother Sanger, I appreciate you and your introduction tonight. And your heart is where I'm at. Our, our Spanish ministry is something that I pour myself into. I pour myself into that. And our men's ministry is something that is very near and dear to me. And 10 years ago or so, we just started, me and a couple guys at church, Brother Brian Duvall, if some of you might know him, we were like, we need to do something. So we started a men's prayer every Saturday morning. And I tell you what, there were some days it was two of us, some days one of us. And we just kept at it and said, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop coming. Saturday mornings, we're going to come. We're going to be here, and we're going to pray. And do you know that right after that, we started to go into our project where we moved, bought a new building, transitioned over, and it kept growing. It kept growing, and now sometimes there's 30, 30 plus men at this prayer meeting every Saturday morning. Because God moves when men pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here with the mighty men of Middletown today, and I thank you all for having me. I thank you for being here, and um, right after uh, Brother Tyler called me and I hung up, God put a a word on my heart immediately, and um, I don't know how it will come out tonight, what God wants to do with it, but it's in His hands. It's a message I I have preached before, but it's definitely going to be different tonight for just men, and uh, whether I teach it, preach it, treat it talk it, whatever it's going to be, I believe God is going to speak to our hearts. And if we could just stand up, I want to do that. I want to enter his gates with praise and thanksgiving because he's worthy of that. And I know we've already worshiped, but I want to get back into that vein if we can of just letting his spirit soak this place up, God. In Jesus' name, move on us, God, tonight. Jesus' name, let your words speak. Prick our hearts tonight, God. Anoint these men, Jesus, for whatever they're going home to, families, God, whatever trials, whatever struggles they're going through, God. In Jesus' name, God, 
I pray that you anoint each and every one of us tonight, God. Let your presence fall in this place, God. Speak to us tonight, God. In Jesus' name, anoint this service, God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to look at one, just a couple quick verses here. And uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to keep it from being just the standard uh, service. It's men here tonight, and and we're going to see what God wants to do. Amen. But I am going to look at 1 Samuel 17, 38, and 39. It's a familiar scripture, and it's a familiar event that happened. 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 39. 38 says, Then Saul clothed clothed David with his own fighting attire and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also put body armor on him. David strapped on his sword over his fighting attire and tried to walk around, but he was not used to them. David said to Saul, I can't walk in these things, for I'm not used to them. And just a thought for a few minutes tonight, whatever it may be, is Saul's armor isn't meant to fit you. Saul's armor isn't meant to fit you. Thank you, Jesus, again for your presence, God. I pray, God, that you just move on us, God, tonight. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You can be seated. I I think two of... uh, my favorite people in the Bible that I look to that I can just say, man, their lives speak to me. Their testimonies speak to me. Aside from Jesus, of course, we always have to put that out there, right? Jesus is definitely the, but aside from Christ himself, the two men in the Bible that really speak to me the most are David in the Old Testament and Paul in the New because David is up and down and all around, He's all over the place. When you read through the Psalms, the ones that he wrote, he's all over. He's worshiping. He's crying. He's pouting. He's doing whatever it is. And it's like all of us do as men. But I, I just look at him, and, and, and there's so much of him that, that I, can, I, I can draw from. Amen? But when I look at this situation that's taking place, we all know the story. Everybody's heard it from, from uh, Sunday school on up. Even if you didn't go to church, even if you didn't go to Sunday school, You've heard of David and Goliath. You know, if you're watching, March Madness is going on right now, and and you'll hear uh, my friend. I got to say my friend Chris is here with me. Uh, Longtime friend, lifelong best friend. He's in from L.A., but he's a U.K. fan. (laughs) St. Peter's who probably at some point, I didn't watch that broadcast, but at some point they probably said, it's the typical David against Goliath matchup, right? And sure enough, St. Peter's knocked off the, the UK Wildcats. But people that didn't even grow up in church don't know anything about it. They've heard David and Goliath. Um, it's a story that we all know. But when you, when you understand David and Saul, you see a contrast and two men. 
you see one that God said, this is who I'm calling to be the king of Israel. This is who I've called and I've seen. And I've seen him out in the fields, David, so many times. We don't have the luxury in this busy life and time that we live in now that we, all, we often wonder, how were they so close to God? And when we read about this, well, David spent many nights in a shepherd's field alone, just looking up at stars and just thinking and pondering the things of God, fighting tigers and bears, whatever it was that he was fighting, but growing close to God. And God, from a long time before that, anointed him and said, this is who is going to be the king of Israel. But like we're tempted to do so much in this world and in this life is say, I'm not going to wait on God. The world doesn't want to wait on God. Israel didn't want to wait on God. So what did they do? They said, we're going to, we're going to appoint, appoint a king. We want to go ahead and choose our own king. We, we want to make somebody. Now, we don't have time to wait, God. We don't have time. Samuel, we don't have time to wait. We're not, we're not interested in who you may be uh, going to appoint our king. We need a king right now. All these other nations have a king, and we need a king right now. So what do they do? They go to Middletown, and they find a Bobby Gardner and says, who's head and shoulders above everybody else? But fortunately, Brother Bobby, you're also anointed of God. Amen. But that's what they did. The Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest of the men. And, and, and I know that, you know, we sometimes think about these times of being just people that were in, you know, raggedy clothes and whatever. But Israel was rich. They had a lot of things. They had access to a lot of uh, gold and, 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 and riches. So I can only imagine that Saul's armor was quite unique that it was quite detailed, that it was quite ornate, that it was quite built up because, of course, they're saying we finally have our king. So what are we going to do? We're going to make his armor the best of the best. We're going to make it shine. We're going to make it shimmer. And, and the world is going to make our king look like a true king. And that's what the world does. And Saul gladly said, I will take that. And he has his armor. And I'm sure it was sturdy and strong. And here comes David, this, this lad, this boy, this young man that nobody really knew or paid attention to. His brothers certainly didn't pay attention to him. Nobody else thought anything of him. He's bringing lunches, right? He's just coming up to this battle, and, and here's this man, that, this young boy that's bringing some lunches. And everybody's like, here's the world out here on this battlefield, it's calling you out. It's calling you out, Israel. Nobody is willing to even walk out onto that battlefield. Nobody even wants a part of Goliath. Saul, with all of his armor being the head and shoulders above everybody else, he's not attempting to go out there. Nobody wants any part of him. He's tell, calling out God, making fun of them, ridiculing them, and they're just standing there. Meanwhile, David... He doesn't have this big, beautiful armor. He doesn't have this powerful sword. He doesn't have any of this. He's got a lunch that he's bringing up. And what a difference, what a contrast between the two. Chosen by God, out there in a shepherd's field, just seeking God every night. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Just thinking and pondering of God. Meanwhile, Saul having his armor built, living in his palace. Meanwhile, the Philistines are out there calling him out, and there's Goliath, and David walks up. And Saul's like, well, we're not going out there. David says, well, I'm going to fight him. Are you kidding me? 
He's calling out our God, this uncircumcised Philistine, and the things that he's doing. And I'm just this little boy that's out here in this field, shepherd's field. Nobody's thinking about me. My brothers are saying, what are you even doing here calling me out? But he's like, are you kidding me? I'll go fight this guy. So just like the world, Saul's like, well, here, go ahead and put my armor on because I'm not going out there. And David says, he tries it on. And, and part of me, and I'll take a little bit of my, a little bit of liberty here, Pastor, and say that part of me thinks that David, you know, it would probably be fun to say, hey, I'm putting on the king's armor, right? A, a part of him probably thought, I want this big, beautiful, powerful armor to fit. Who wouldn't want to be in the king's armor? Who wouldn't want to have that powerful armor on and say, well, hi, here, here I am. I, I'm the chosen king after all, right? So this armor should be fitting me anyway. So who doesn't want to go ahead and put that armor on? That's how we're conditioned. This is how we're conditioned. Men, this is what we, from the time we're born, we're conditioned in our schools in the workplace, whatever it is, to put on the world's armor. We're told that this is how you're going to make it. This is the only way to succeed. This is what you have to do to get ahead. you got to get this ex- education. You've got you've to fight your coworkers. You've got to snitch on them, do whatever it is, put them down. Whatever it is you've got to do, you've got to be the one to get ahead. After all, right, we've got families counting on us, children counting on us. It's, it's beat into our heads from the time we start school, from the time we can walk or talk, especially as men, right? You got to provide. You got to be successful. You got to get ahead. You got to get ahead. And they just condition us all the way through school, constantly putting on the world's armor, constantly telling us. And, and now when you get into the workplace, here's your 401k. You got to build up your 401k. You got to start saving. You got to start getting this savings account. You got to invest here. You've got to get ahead. You've got to get ahead. It's constantly just get ahead. Be be better than your neighbor. Be better than your coworker. Be the best player on the team. Whatever it is, work out harder. Work out longer. But nobody talks about this word. The world certainly doesn't talk about this word. But everybody, especially in a blessed nation that we have, is constantly telling you how to get ahead. It's constantly saying, this is what you got to do. It's constantly telling you, oh, you're hurt. You got a pain in yourself. Go to the doctor. What's the doctor's report? Oh, it didn't come back good. What do we do? Well, what's the next specialist? What do I got to do? Let's put on the armor of the world. The doctor said it after all. That's what the x-ray showed. That's what the the C-scan showed or whatever they're called. That's what it said, right? That's, what, that's my condition. That's what I've got to, to face. So let's go to uh, the, the next specialist and see what they say. Let, let, let's see if we can go. I'll, I'll fly out of town. Oh, I heard overseas there's, there's procedures that are better than what we have. I've heard that they don't have all the restrictions that we have. What is it that, what's the next thing that I can do? What's the world saying is the, the answer to this situation, to this sickness that I have? What's the world saying is the answer to to my marriage struggles? What's the world saying is the answer to my financial complications? What's the world saying is the answer to Russia and Ukraine? What's the world's answer to, I'm not even going to give it glory by saying the name, but to this virus that's been out there for a while? What, What is the world saying to do? 
we're constantly turning to the world, Saul's armor. Can I put this on now? Can I put this on here? Will it fit? But it's never going to fit. You've been called out. I'm telling you, men of Middletown, mighty men of Middletown, you've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And the armor of this world is not supposed to fit you. And when we stop trying it on is when we can understand that's when we're going to have victory in our life. That's when we understand now when I'm walking and I'm talking like David, that's when I can understand that I've got victory. When I stop putting on, trying to make Saul's armor fit. I'm sure David, he kept trying and says he tried and he said, I just can't move in this stuff. I'm getting ready to walk out and face this, this giant and I can't, I can't move in this stuff. Sure, it would probably protect me more than the nothing that I'm going to walk out there with or the few rocks that I'm getting ready to pick up. It seems like that would actually protect me. But he said, wait a second. I just said he's calling out our God and why is nobody fighting? So let me remember again what's going to be my protector out on this battlefield. Let me remember again what I'm walking out there and what I'm facing. And know that who's going to get me through this battle. My goodness, men, there's a giant out there every day facing you. There's a giant out there every single day calling you out, saying, are you ready? Are you going to come face me, you coward? Are you seriously, this is what you're sending out here? This is the best you got? doesn't matter how young or old we are, how tall or short we are. We got to know how we're going to go out there and face that battle because right now you're under attack. I know you're under attack because you're trying to serve God and your men. Some of you are husbands, fathers, whatever the situation is, sons, whatever it may be, you're under attack. Because if the enemy can bring down the men, then he knows. He knows how to take out the camp. You're facing it every day. I know that you are. I'm facing it. I can't stand here and say that I'm not facing challenges each and every day. Our marriages. I, I, I know. I, I can see it every time when the enemy sneaks in. And, and, and our wives are the weaker vessels. That's what they are. And I can see it brewing up, especially whenever it is that I got to preach or whatever. Especially then. Or especially if you're getting ready to do something, you know, for God, whatever it may be. Maybe it's teaching a Sunday school class. Sunday mornings sometimes are the worst at our house. Because I'm getting ready, we're getting ready to go to church, and all of a sudden, what happens? I don't know. Our daughter, something happens. My wife says something snarky. Whatever it is, you know Sunday morning, especially if you got a work to do for God that day, especially if you've got something to do at the church, something's going to come in. But you know what? A lot of you are facing it Monday morning before you get to work. The giant's out there every day taunting you, challenging you, saying, all right, how are you going to come out here today? And I, I know you've lost, you've faced some losses. And you know why it is? Because you've gone out there in Saul's armor. You've gone out on that battlefield with armor that you can't move in. Like David said, I, I can't move in this. And you've gone out there because the world has told you. A high school teacher, a grade school teacher, your boss, somebody has told you, this is how you have to fight. 
That's not how we fight our battles. That's not how we fight our battles. It's a matter of understanding, just like David, picking up that rock, the rock that followed them. Hallelujah. Jesus' name, just like when Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. A lot of people got it wrong, and they started to build Catholic churches thinking, oh, well, Peter's the rock. Peter's not the rock. It's the revelation of who Jesus Christ is that is the rock. And David knew that and said, I'm going out there with the battle and this battle with God's armor. Amen. And that's how we have to fight every battle, men. You can't let how the world is trying to condition you every day determine how you're going to go out into the battlefield. Because you'll lose every single time. God is the only way. And I don't care how little I have on, if it's one, just one little robe or, or a suit and tie, whatever it may be, it's not going to be through Saul's armor that I'm going to succeed. No matter what your education level is, no matter what the doctors tell you, no matter what your boss says, this is what you got to do to get ahead. Matthew 6.33 tells me, seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Not seek the world first, not seek Saul's armor first, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I know what you're facing each day. It's coming at you every single day. You're taking a lot of losses, but when you get it through your head to say, I'm just going out there with the word of God, just with the Word of God. I think back to a, a, a situation I was at with, I, I don't know if you know the story, of there was a judge in Cincinnati, Hamilton County, Tracy Hunter, and um, she got into some, a situation, some trouble, and got arrested in the courtroom. All these things were going on because uh, of some situations she found herself in, and it was right about the time that God put this message on my heart. And the Pentecost Foundation in Cincinnati that um, your pastor knows about, and some of you may have come to some of the celebrations, but they had invited me to one of their services, and I went over there, and there's a lady over there they're praying for, and I'm like, I have no idea who this is, but they're saying, God, help her and, and raise her up and all this stuff, and I'm thinking, who is this? What, what's the situation? They're like, hey, please come over and pray for her and this and that and the other, and um, I did, and then the next thing I know, somebody said her name, and I was like, oh, that's who that is. And I, I didn't know much of the story other than what the media had shared. And uh, I was like, I, I don't know. You know, that's not a great situation, so I'm not really sure how I feel about this. And I'm praying for God to deliver you, and I don't know the whole situation, but amen. And, and God put this on my heart and said, you need to tell her that her whole career where she's been trying to get ahead as a judge, trying to get ahead in this worldly system is not what I've called her to do. I've called her to follow my path for her. And I thought, okay, all right, I don't know that I want to do that, Lord. So I started to do the old trick of, is this God or is this me? What, what is this situation? Usually when you ask that question of yourself, it's God, okay? Usually when you start wondering that, it's God saying, hey, go out and do this. So I, uh, I kind of avoided it, and she left. And I thought, okay, that probably wasn't you then, God. Dismissed it, you know. Okay, that was probably me. And started talking to uh, one of my good friends. And we were there a good 30 more minutes. And um, I, we walked out. 
And sure enough, somehow or another, she's still outside, and she comes walking over, made a beeline for me as I was getting in my car, and she said, hey, I just noticed you, and I wanted to say hello. And I said, okay, that was God. So I say, you know, I've got to share something that God put in my heart, and that's exactly what I told her. I was like, God is telling you, stop wearing Saul's armor and, and just wear God's armor and let him take you where you want to go. And there's a gentleman in our church right now, and, and we're going to see this miracle tomorrow morning when we walk into our church building, and, and his name is Jonathan Morales, and he has completely taken off Saul's armor in the last six months of his life. Back in like September, I think it was around September 6th, uh, his wife was expecting. They were about two weeks out from their due date, and... Um, she was expecting, and all of a sudden, she uh, had a high fever, uh, really high fever. They took her into the hospital. They said, you're positive with that virus that I will not name, and um, now your baby's running a fever also. And they said, we need to do an emergency cesarean section, deliver the baby, and, and, and try to get you all through this. Well, they did the emergency cesarean section. Baby came out fine. Fever's dropped. Praise God, everything's good. A call to prayer went out. We're all praying. The baby's good. The mom's good. They send her home like 24, 48 hours later. The next thing you know, Sunday, I think it was a Sunday or Saturday or Sunday, she wakes up in the middle of the night. She can't even breathe. They call an ambulance. She goes to the hospital. That was the beginning of six months of being told, you're not going to make it. Um. She, she ended up in the hospital in Anderson for two months, I believe it was. We went over, prayed with her, not getting better. You're not getting better. You're not getting better. You have to have a, a lung transplant. That's the only option. Brother Jonathan said this prayer. I remember him calling me at general conference, and he said, I, I have believed long enough, and I, I don't know that I can believe anymore. And I said, Jonathan, it's okay. That's okay. You've been, you've been praying. You've been believing. Let some other people believe for you for a few minutes. But he had given up. He said, I, I can't do it anymore. And, and, and the next day there was some positive news. Got him restarted again. But then they said, you know, there's uh, pulmonary fibrosis. So the lungs were so stiff that there was never, they said, there's no chance that your lungs will ever gain function again. So she goes to Columbus, and they said, put her on a transplant list. And as that, before that happened, they wanted to intubate, and he said, I don't want that. And um, I said, Jonathan, you know, sometimes you got to let things happen before God, you, you don't know. Sometimes you just got to let people do, make their steps, make their decisions, and see how God is going to respond. So he let that happen. Then they said, we want to do a transplant. He said, no way, I'm not letting that happen. And he said this prayer. He said, Lord, I don't want Kim to come through this with the, without you just getting all the glory. I don't want a hospital to get the glory. I don't want a transplant to get the glory. I don't want a doctor, a specialist, or anybody else to get the glory. And I'm going to come back to that for a reason. But he, he said that prayer. And sure enough, they're in Columbus, and every time there seemed to be a transplant come available, something fell through. And he said, I don't want that. Again, I want God to get the glory. She's going to be healed. And I'll tell you this, talk about men and men praying. In December, 
Saturday morning, men's prayer, he had gotten a call the day before, and they said, it looks like she's not going to make it maybe another day or two. And he walks into men's prayer. Men's prayer starts at 9 a.m. on Saturdays. And in that prayer, one of our men went up to him and prophesied and said, she's going to come out of this completely healed and completely free, and she, she won't need anything done. Just spoke this prophetic word to him. He got out of that prayer, got a call from the hospital, and they said, we don't understand what's happened. But Kim is breathing on her own right now. And she's been breathing on her own for two hours. Jesus' name. He said, when did this start happening? And they said, at about 9 a.m. That's the beginning of men's prayer. That's when men's prayer starts. From that point on, he started declaring nothing short of an absolute miracle. Now, again, this is December. Here we are in March. They proceeded to continue to come back and say, well, we don't know. Maybe that was a fluke. On down the line, it just kept going on, kept going on. They still sent her to Columbus, still said, uh, she's got to have a transplant. About two, uh, actually about three weeks ago now, they said, they told her, they walked into the room. We're talking to her, and they said, you know, Kim, your lungs are so bad that you're not going to leave here without a transplant. That's the only option that you have to leave here. And they said, she said, as good as she could communicate, she said, well, what if I don't get a transplant? And they said, you don't have much longer. And um, they walked out. She's distraught and thinking, tears well up in her eyes. And, and Jonathan says, what are you crying about? And she's motioning the best she can. Well, you heard the doctors, you know, they said this and they said that. And he's like, oh, they've been saying that for six months. God's already healed you. Just receive it. And she just kind of sat there like, oh, okay. Well, last Saturday at family prayer, Sister Kim Morales came. She walked into that building. She walked into our sanctuary. She is now home. The only thing that she has is a little bit of oxygen to help her breathe. But she is now home and completely, they said, we don't understand it. We don't know what's happened. This doesn't make sense. But we're sending her home because she doesn't need the, she doesn't need the transplant anymore. She doesn't need any more medical attention from us. There's nothing more that we can do. Not a doctor, not a procedure, not a hospital, and not a transplant was able to accomplish that. It was simply the prayer of saying, I don't need what the world has to offer. Saul's armor is not going to heal her. Jonathan said, it's just got to be you, God. And, and recently he called me and he said, you know, everybody keeps telling me I'm such a man of faith. I'm such a man of faith. And he said, I don't even know what they're talking about. They don't, I, I, I've struggled through this whole thing. And I said, Jonathan, to say a prayer that, God, I don't want anything to get to glory except for you, to say that prayer, I don't want a doctor, I don't want a procedure, I don't want a hospital, I don't want anything to get the glory except for you, God. To me, I was like, that is as faithful as a prayer as you can pray. Because I can tell you, it's common for us, right, to put on the world's armor and say, hang on to every word the doctor says. Hang on to everything that they're telling us is going to happen and say, oh, my goodness, what about this? What about that? I just went through it. My dad passed away January 13th. And, um, you know, I, I certainly had hope of a miracle. But I can tell you, I found myself because he went in and, and he had diabetes 
and, and, and kidney failure, so he was already having some challenges. And um, he was sick for about two weeks at home, and finally he went into the hospital, and they kept testing him, kept testing him, kept testing him. Finally, they said, yeah, he tested positive for this virus. Boom, they closed everything off, isolation, so on and so forth, pumping whatever medicines into him. I don't know. And, uh, you know, I know God's timing is perfect. And I know he's the one that determines when to give and when to take away. So I rest easy at night knowing that God said it's time for my dad to go. But the one thing that I do regret is hanging on to every one of those doctor's words. Because what, what was amazing is when we were going in there with tremendous faith, and I saw him go from uh, going in to saying, hey, can you bring me a, a couple hot dogs from Sonic? It's just because this food is awful. And still talking on the phone to when they started, you know, doing whatever procedures that they do, man's armor, the world's armor, he started to decline right away. And all of a sudden, had internal bleeding, a number of things happened. And um, cardiac arrest, boom, went on a ventilator and dialysis, all in a matter of a, a short time. And at that point in time, they were saying, he's in ICU, we don't expect, you know, him to last you know, 24, 48 hours, began to pray and began to believe. And do you know that I saw him come off the ventilator, come off the dialysis, and that was all by faith because when you walked into that hospital room, that ICU room, and saw him in the condition he was in, they were like, what do you even, what, why do you even have any hope? And I said, because, because I serve a mighty God. That's why I have hope. That's why I believe it. And he came off the ventilator. He came off the dialysis. He woke up, and the doctor came in and said, when I told you the other day that I was cautiously optimistic, he was like, I was kind of just being kind because you guys were coming in here every day, and I don't just, we never see that. And he's like, so whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And we said, well, we're just praying. And he said, well, keep on praying. And it turned out a few weeks later to not be, uh, time for my dad to come home. He went to his eternal home, and I'm thankful for that. But the point was, I started when we walked in there, and everything looked completely desperate and like there was no answer, and we were relying only on faith and only on prayer. He started to get better, and then all of a sudden, we started to listen and hang on to every one of their words. And when we started to hang on to every one of their words, things started to decline again. And I'm not saying God, God, if God wanted him to walk out of there, he would have. But the point that I'm trying to make is when we were hanging on just in faith, God was doing things. And with Jonathan and Kimberly Morales, she's home now because he said, I don't want the world's armor. I don't want Saul's armor. I'm going to put on the armor of God. And that's the only thing that's going to survive and get us through this. And she's home and she's going to be in service tomorrow. And I've already told Brother Urshan, if you're supposed to preach tomorrow, I don't know if you're going to preach. Because I can tell you, the place is going to blow up. Because just for the group that we had at Family Prayer last week, when she walked in, I was leading prayer. And I just looked back and I saw her. And I just wept. I couldn't help but just weep. I, I had to just hit... I mean, you're trying to lead the congregation in, in, in prayer and, and keep things going. And, and that seems like a moment that you're going to be jumping for joy, right? Running the aisles and glorious. But when you've been praying, like the song says, we've been praying. Do you know how that song goes? We've been praying. We've been seeking. Send the rain, something. Yes. Sometimes when you're praying so long, 
when you're fighting so hard, when you see a victory like that, it's not, you're not going to just jump for joy. You're not going to run the aisles. You're just going to collapse. And just graciousness to God. And just tears and just weep and say, it's been so long, six months. Lord, we've been praying for this miracle. Been told time and time again that she's not going to make it. And when you see that miracle walk in, sometimes you can't help but just say, Lord, you're just so full of greatness, God. And you're just so full of thanks that you just don't know what to do but weep. And when I saw her, I just wept. I couldn't help but just weep. And, and, and the whole, everybody, the spirit that came over the sanctuary at that time was just that of just such gratitude of saying, Lord God, you're so worthy, you're so holy, you're so righteous, and you're so true. But that's when we put on his armor. We see those things. We're so conditioned, and I just want to tell you, Again today, men, don't put on this world's armor. You can't, you can't win in this world's armor. You can't win. It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like tonight. Don't put any stock in that. Whether you have a million dollars in there or two dollars, it really doesn't matter. Jehovah Jireh, God is your provider. He's your healer. He's your banner. He's your salvation. He's your everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Put your hope in God. Don't put this world's armor because it's going to fail you every single time. Because you've been called out. You may look at your neighbor and say, why are they getting ahead? They're wearing Saul's armor and it looks like they're doing better than me. But on the eternal scale, they're not doing better than you. If they don't have the Holy Spirit that you have. They may have a nicer car in the driveway, but you don't know what their debt situation looks like. And their eternal debt is greater than yours if they're not saved. So you've got to remember who's called you and whose child you are. And remember the rock that followed them is with you. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's easy. I know, men, we, we, we got that pride. We, we want to have the nicest. We want to be the best. We want to walk into whatever job and, and be the ones that's getting ahead. We want to walk out on the basketball court, the football field, whatever it may be, and be the best. We may want to have the, the, the next um, job promotion. You know, why isn't it me? We want to have the, the nicest looking yard and the block, whatever it may be. That's who we are as men. We want to wear Saul's armor. We want to be that. But God's saying, no, I've got something so much better for you. i got so many things better for you. But if you want to do it your way, you know, God will give you a little bit. But he's saying, if you do it my way, you're going to chop that giant's head off and hold it up in victory and save a nation. If you do it my way, you may not have the bins in the driveway, but you're going to have a greater victory. I'm going to give you health. I'm going to give you a healthy marriage. I'm going to give you a, a, a place to lay your head at night that you have peace of mind. Hallelujah, Jesus. When we do it his way. I remember, I, I still love jail, prison ministry and jail ministry. I don't get to do it as much because uh, it's Sunday mornings and my responsibilities at church um, need me to be there. But I remember going in so many times to those downtown Hamilton County and talking to those inmates and just saying, you know, giving them my testimony of how I was away from God for far too long. 
I, I grew up in our church, First Apostolic Church, Brother Buller, baptized in Jesus' name at seven years old, filled with the Holy Ghost at 10. And by the time I was 16, 17, thought the world's armor looks pretty good, led me out into uh, just a world of sin that I'm not even going to glorify today, whatever it was, the, the, everything that the world does, I wanted to be involved in it, tasted it all, and like the Bible says, sin was fun for a season. It's a short season, I can tell you that, because I was miserable for a long time until I gave my life back to God. And when I did, he restored all that joy, restored it all. And I walked into those prisons or into those jails, and I would tell them, there's something about just being able to lay your head down at night and know you're not conflicted with the world. You're not conflicted and struggling with sin. You're not conflicted and struggling with whatever, you know, am I getting over on this person? Am I doing whatever it is? To rest your head at night. You may not have that bends in the driveway, but you've got God. And you can lay your head down. And you can get the best night's sleep because you know where you're at with God, not wearing Saul's armor. And, and I'll, 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 I'll come to an end here in just a second with this. Put on the whole armor of God. I didn't know I was going to go there, but I'm going I'm to go through it. And, and one of the reasons I think about it is my daughter, my oldest daughter is seven now, seven and a half. And I remember when she was two, three, four years old, whatever it was, she would put on, we'd put on that song for her. And she would just march around the house. She would just march around the house. Praise God, that little girl singing the armor of God, just marching around the house. And I'm just thinking, thank you, God. Put it inside of her that that's the only armor that she thinks about. Put it inside her that that's the only thing that she cares about and she knows. The breastplate of righteousness. Sword of the Spirit, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, and shoes of peace. If I can instill that into my home. If you go home tonight and that is the armor that you take home. If you take that into your house, you'll have victory on that battlefield. Goliath doesn't stand a chance. The enemy is going to put everything he can in front of you. Giants that you think that I can't take this down. I can't fight this giant, the enemy knows he's studying you. He's not, he, he, he doesn't have any new tricks. He doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeve. He's studying you. He studied your family, your parents, your grandparents, and he knows those generational curses that you may struggle with. I think tonight there could be some generational curses destroyed on a battlefield if we fight it the right way. If we can say tonight for a few minutes, you know what? I'm done fighting these fights with my own self, with what I feel like I have to do, the way that I feel like I have to fight it. If we can fight for a few minutes tonight with the armor of God, just believing and saying, you know what? I'm going to put on God's armor right now. I'm going to cast off Saul's armor. I'm going to cast off the things of this world. Whatever you're facing this week, if you can stand with me for a minute. I don't care what challenges you're going home to, what you're facing tomorrow, or what you're facing this week. I'm telling you right now, you've got victory. It's already, it's already done. It's already done. The victory is already there. My victory is in Jesus' name.
He wants you to just cast off the things of this world. Quit worrying about how you're going to get through whatever it is that you're, you're up against. And I, I would say that we could all go around this whole room and say, this is what I'm facing right now. This is what I'm challenged with right now. And as men, we got to have the answer right. Every time my wife comes to me about an issue, I'm firing off answers. And she's just like, I'm just telling you. I'm just sharing it with you. I'm not asking you to fix it right now. And at the end of the day, I can't fix it. My little girl walking around the house singing those songs about the armor of God. I can't go to school. I can't be with her every minute of every day. No matter how strong we think we are as men, I can't be there for her everything, every challenge she faces. Every time she falls and skins a knee, every time an adult intends harm, whatever it may be, I can't be there. But God can. God can be there. And I just have to say, sweetie, keep marching around the house singing that armor of God. Keep marching around because I know that if you put on his armor and don't worry about Saul's, you're going to be okay. And that's what God is calling some men to do right now tonight. I believe he's asking some of you to say, I'm done fighting. I'm done carrying this on my shoulders. I believe that strongly that that's why he put that on my heart a month or so ago. First thing he said is this is what I want you to talk about. Tell them. Tell them to stop fighting for themselves. Tell them to give it to God. Tell them. In Jesus' name, I just ask you to come forward if you want. And, and, and we need to just fight some things out of here tonight. I think there's some victories that can be had in this place tonight. I think God has some victories for you in store that if you tonight say, you know what? I'm going to approach this week different than I did last week and the week before and the month before. I'm going to approach this, my home different. When I get home tonight, I'm going to be different. My marriage, I'm going to I'm going to approach it in a different way tonight when I get home. My parenting, my being a dad, I'm going to approach it a little bit different when I get home tonight or tomorrow. Jesus' name.